0: The Talksport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only thing left to say is Georgie, check for dadsy. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. <laughs> only via Rapper participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery free in terms supply. See McDonald's.com.
2: Leicester City have a penalty kick in the sixth minutes of injury time. injury time. Injury time, injury time. Knockout takes Alumia saves,
0: knockout follows in, Alumia saves again. And now what
1: become very involved on the social media and i think a lot of the the reason why why people have grown so warm to you has been your preparedness and your humor to interact on twitter and no more better example than your your friday night curry on away games this 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 i i feel is the could become the thing of legend that was great how how have you found the social media interaction with people and and which club would you suggest has got the best level of curry
2: the social media thing was something that you had to sort of decide if you're going to do it or not so i thought well I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna interact with people because uh, honestly, and this this sounds like you know sort of whimsy, but I just try to do what I would want if I was a fan. So I, you know, if I was a fan and there was someone tweeting about the club in a position of some knowledge, I'd want them to chat with me or answer a question or you know just not take life too seriously. That's what I try and do. You know, and sometimes you sort of think I've made a mistake here because you know it can drag on or you get up in the morning and you know you've got loads of things that people have tweeted overnight that you haven't seen. Or I, I refuse to give in because I think it's a good thing I think you know what what if I was if I was covering man United Liverpool it may be impossible because you've got so many people who, who would tweet you but at a club of Watford size you know one of the things i like about it is that you you sort of you know people and I'm not going to say it's not like when people go you know this village is lovely everybody knows everybody Watford isn't that small you know I don't know mm-hmm. everybody. you get to know faces and people recognize you and I think that's great you know and I, i'm I'm no celebrity but if someone you know wants to I've seen people in car parks come sidling up at a way games and ask me about something great you know why wouldn't i want to do that because up until a year ago i was that person wanting to ask that question and i wouldn't mm-hmm. expect someone to be rude or or knock me back so i treat people the way i like to be treated i enjoy the social media interaction if it ever gets to the point where it gets personal I, i've had one or two situations where people have have made it personal and that that you know, that's testing me because i don't mm-hmm. think that's fair You know, I don't I don't think it's fair to make it personal. I have to retain a a degree of decorum on there. And and I I can't sort of throw the the crap around that some people like to throw around. So, you know, I I just don't like that. I don't think there's any need for it to get personal. I think, you know, we can all disagree on a range of subjects without it turning nasty. And, you know, just because someone rants and raves at me, I'm not going to change my mind. You know, it's a bit like referees on a Saturday afternoon. I've never seen a referee surrounded by a group of players go, yeah, actually, lads, you're right. Yeah, we'll rule that one out. It just doesn't happen like that. if only yeah if only well Man United would have won the league for seasons if that was (laughs) true. true But yeah, I, I enjoy the social media side of it. I think it's good fun. I, I try to make it light. I try and join in where I can. The Friday night curry thing is just literally, you know, if I'm quite honestly, this season traveling away, I've come to accept that the best bit of the away trip may be the Friday night curry. The curry. <laughs> and, and It's <laughs> going you know, sort of to be the there, beer as well. You know, I do. I mean, and I love you, you see me, I'm, I'm not small. I do like my food. I don't drink. I don't smoke. The only vice I've got left it is food. And I particularly like, Food of the spicy type, so that's what I tend to do. And I mean, I, I wrote a piece about it a little while ago. You know, I found out last year that I, I'm autistic, and I never understood why I used to be so organised about things, and why, you know, if I was going to a restaurant, I needed to look at the menu every day until I actually got to the restaurant. Now I'm travelling for away games. You know, it, it's taken it to a whole new level. So I book my hotel, <laughs> and then I find an Indian restaurant, and then I look at them both on Street Map, and I look at them both from the aerial shot, and then I work out where I'm going to park. And then once I've done that and I can get onto the menu and then I'll spend maybe two weeks just perusing the menu every day just in case but the sheer it's never happened yet but I've, you know just the sheer check they decide to take peel our rice off the menu i need to know about that in advance <laughs> but, they never but i just like to know it's normal to me but i understand if you're not someone who has the same traits as me that checking the menu sometimes twice a day every day for a couple of weeks might seem a bit odd but it really brings me a lot of comfort so when i once i got my hotel and my restaurant sorted out then i work backwards and think, okay this is a quite a long drive i'm going to need to stop so then i work out which service Thank I'm going to stop at and then I'll do the same thing check out what the food options are where the toilets are where the car parks are have they got a Smith's have they got a spa can I get a bar of chocolate once I've sorted that then I work backwards and think okay I'm going to be leaving the training ground the Friday morning after press conference about half nine and I literally map my day out that makes me dead happy and the the last piece of the jigsaw of the journey on a Friday so it's press conference service station to hotel when I get to Curry House it's like well that's it there's, there's nothing else to stress about I can really enjoy it it's been a mixed bag I've got to say you know some of the curries have been absolutely superb there's others I can't remember where it was but the, it was a really old style Indian restaurant you know with the sort of flock wallpaper oh and, brilliant um, brilliant you know the one I mean <laughs> where. yeah, yeah, yeah they've got they've got like the 20 best Bangra songs on loop they're giving red roses to the ladies when they leave that sort of thing you know and this place was uh, it was it was certainly yeah a bit old old styling and on the menu they had prawn dishes, chicken dishes and meat dishes. <laughs> so I said to the waiter the meat dishes what meat is it and he went is meat <laughs>
1: <laughs> So I said yeah.
2: What meat is it? He went, is meat. So I said, I'll have the chicken then. I mean, I have to say, the best one, the one I'd recommend. And it happened just by chance. Sunderland away. I found this place fifteen minutes from my re- from my hotel, and it didn't didn't bode well when I got there. And it had like one of those nineteen seventies fluorescent signs outside, you know. And it, it had adverts in the window for Skull Lager, you know, which are brilliant I don't think wow. made now. There, I? Excellent. And then when I got inside, now this must be a northern thing. I don't know. I mean, I, I apologise to any north people from the northeast that I offend, but it seemed to me that you know that everybody bar me had On their curry with chips. You know, I mean, it was just, you know, I'll have a chicken tikka masala and chips. I'll have a lambuna and chips and they weren't like french fry chips they were like the big thick cut big Shit, thick was, potatoes like going into, yeah. a, into a, a, a beef eater and saying yeah can i'll have the sandy carvery but can i take the roast potatoes out and put rice on the plate <laughs> you no know, it's just it just don't sit well with me And good, better is still there's this table to my left i mean i always eat on my own so that always means you get people looking at you thinking is he a, you know what is he is he a, a spy you know is yeah, he a murderer what is he because he's on his own yeah people eating on their own you're always a bit sus clearly clearly somebody has seen you at
1: an under 21 game. And well, yeah, you know. Goal, let's you be know. honest.
2: I've got the track record. I go to 121 games. I eat on my own and I stay in Premier Inns. So, I mean, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of red flags. <laughs> yeah, appearing on a crime watch the you soon. But this table to my left in Sunderland, of a table of six, you know, it's quiet. I could hear them ordering, and they said we're going to have starters. And I thought, oh, that's interesting, because there's a whole range of really interesting Indian starters. What I found amusing was they decided to pick all of them. All six had the starter choice that surely wouldn't test an Indian restaurant chef. They all chose prawn cocktail. I mean... <laughs> Fantastic. Wow. You know, I, I can, you can imagine the chef sitting out the back thinking, I've got all these tikka things. I've got, you know, I've got a big tandoor yeah. tangle here. You know, I've got lamb that's been marinated. You know, lovely vegetables. And you want prawns in Mary Rose sauce. Lettuce. Lettuce. <laughs> and just- some brown bread triangles. You know, it's just... <laughs> the cold butter that destroys the bread yeah, yeah. and and that, so I'm still I'm still reeling I'm still reeling from um, the the prawn cocktails and then they got into main courses and yeah that's where yeah, the lamb and chips I thought you were going to say chip. ham egg and chips then or something No the no then someone right? ordered someone ordered the tandoori mixed grill mm. and chips <laughs> I mean, there's not even a sauce to pour over the chips. I mean, that, oh, that's, that's dry, that's isn't basically it? Basically, it's just meat and chips.
1: That is dry. No, that
2: they're they're is in the really... north;
1: they, they'd have ordered extra gravy, surely. Yeah, gravy would
2: have gone. No, I mean, there was, you know, that that that's that's Philistine level of food ordering. That is when you have chips with yeah. a mixed grill, and a couple of people had some. One of the people had a, a biryani, but not too hot. Do you, there's no there's no spice in the biryani. <laughs> they don't even. I mean, the curry pot do not even come out the cupboard for a biryani. <laughs> to be to be fair, last time we went for a curry, I forget what you was it a Naga that you I had? had? A naga yeah, chicken. yeah, that's, And I that, went, that's...
1: I went, that'll do me. And that was that was a mistake. Yeah, you struggled with that. Yeah,
2: <laughs> I did struggle. Yeah, it was
1: more the next day I struggled with.
2: Just to I'm finish not, my not... story, though, not only the table of six start with six prom cocktails, and somebody had a tandoori mixed with chips, but they hung around for dessert, and they had all these nice, you know, sort of like the Indian kulfi ice cream and. Oh, no, no, no. We'll have six portions of Vianetta, please. Oh, this is brilliant. <laughs> this is fantastic.
0: Wow. This is fantastic. I just felt
2: like saying something. Like, I think you've come to the wrong place. You want a Toby in. Or a, yeah. a Bernie, Bernie Inn from like the Inn. late 70s, early 80s. You know, yeah, exactly. If you go there, you can still get Black Forest Gatto, a nice steak dinner. So, yes, oh, that was my favourite curry was Sunderland. But, you know, a curry's got to be bad for me not to eat it. So um, if you didn't know it already, that bit of the A1 that stretches up from where it kind of stops near
1: North Yorkshire and it goes up and you get past Middlesbrough and you hit a little bump in the road. And that, that is that is the time portal that takes you back to Sunderland in the 1970s <laughs> yes. along with prawn cocktails. And brown bread triangles. What can you say? Well, there we go. Now we've dealt with the really emotive stuff. Let's get back onto the managers we keep firing. <laughs> when I look at Slaven Bilic, I I have to look at his reign in the two chunks because the World Cup interruption I don't think helped him. We don't seem to do very well with you know Operation Restart, for example. That that was pretty appalling. His results just seem to be wholly up and down and all over the place. The Stoke City game four 0 loser comes back. We disappointingly lost to Swansea two one at home but in a game that really they completely dominated the, the the middle of the park and matt grimes got all over it carl and i'm sure yourself are still getting over the mental scarring that was blackpool away 3-1 it, especially with those first kind of couple of that games and and we also had like you know there was the there was the the, the millwall away game etc prior to the october game which we'll get to as the highlight how was slaven's mood and what did you think about his is his first interactions with the team because it seemed to be that we were really kind of struggling to to quite find ourselves
2: am I fair on that or did you see things in a different way the one that sticks in my mind and you you mentioned back all away was was after that game because he he actually looked when he came out to speak to press he he looked you know, pretty dumbstruck like he didn't quite know what had gone on you know because yeah we'd beaten Stoke and we'd lost against Swansea but you know it wasn't that bad it's just Swansea were good but Blackpool you know that was just an absolute surrender we were one all and we were trying to win the game and then in the last 15 minutes we just rolled over and our bellies tickled and you've seen him when he was a player and as a manager he's not that sort of character you know he's not someone who's going to take folding very well and just I remember him talking to press. he just looked absolutely shell-shocked you know he didn't quite know what to say he didn't have a ready answer for it what I admired him for was he didn't try to excuse it and say yeah it was all right, he called it what it was. But yeah, I just remember that that Blackpool game, you know, he looked in a in a real state of shock after that one. And then like you say, I mean Millwall away was just every every time during the season we've had a bad performance, you thought, well that's it, that's the absolute nadir of the season. And then you know the players go and prove that it wasn't, you know, just when you think that there were several layers to the bottom of our barrel. So I mean again after Millwall, I mean Millwall was just was so bad. And again, he didn't try and dress it up. You know, he, he he literally said, you know, all I was trying to do in the second half was score a goal. You know, we were 3-0 down. I remember sitting in the stand because you can see the away end and there were people leaving at 3-0, you know. And I remember the pictures of people being on the train platform before the halftime whistle had gone. What we have to look at is through all three managers' times in charge, there were ups and downs. We were never consistent. Only once did we win two or more games in a row all season long. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't that Rob did anything particularly badly or well, or Slav did anything, or or Chris did anything. That was our season. You know, we were the absolute archetypal roller coaster. You know, we'd, we'd hit a high and then immediately go into a massive slump, then come out of it again plenty of full storms. We were very mid-table. And, you know, when you contrast the wins over Stoke, the the Luton game we're going to come on to with the defeats at Millwall and and Blackpool. And as with Rob, you know, you think of the wins over and and, Yeah, those, you know, Rob had a great win and then he could go and put in a performance like Blackburn with the same group of players. You know, Slaven beat Luton, beat Stoke, wins at Norwich. But then you've got Millwall and, and Blackpool. You know, we were consistently inconsistent. And the one thing it did show This season was You know You could put Any different number Of different types of managers You know We had a young manager We had an older manager We had a foreign manager Last season We had an England manager A Champions League winner And a young bloke from Spain And none of them have been able to get any level of consistency out of roughly the same group of players. The the question
0: is, why were they inconsistent? Why do you think they're inconsistent?
2: When you come to Watford as a player, you quite quickly will get the gist that if things don't go well, it's not going to be falling on your neck. If you look back last season, you know, there'll be plenty of players who were here at the start of last season who will have seen three managers come and go, despite the whole problem being their own you know, shitty performances. So after a while, you start to work out. And, you know, I'm sure that transfers to, you know, lots of workplaces. If you're in a, a work environment where if, if the business doesn't do well, they sack the boss and they keep doing it. In the end, you're going to realise that it doesn't really matter how bad you do. You're never going to get the heave-ho. So I don't think that helps. I think similarly, you know, you get a group of players and you bring a coach in and you try and mould Players to that coach, and then you get rid of that coach and bring in another one who plays a completely different style to the one you had before. And then you try and get the players to mold here. and then you get rid of him and you bring in another coach who's got a different style altogether. You know, to defend the players, you know they've had they've had more styles, you know, than than John Frieda. You know, I mean, it's just there's a reference, uh, (laughs) seventies hairdo reference there.
1: 70 hairstyle still, you know, still available in Sunderland, by the way, if anybody needs one, obviously. I
2: mean, if you if you think back to the summer, you know, you had a manager there who played three, five, two. We didn't give him the players he wanted, but the player spent the first ten games of the season trying to work to what he wanted. What we didn't do then was if we were going to get rid of him, we didn't replace him with someone who does the same sort of thing. we replaced him with someone who does something totally different, but expected him to use the same group of players. You know, I've seen loads of references, and it is it is like you know, getting together all the ingredients for a British roast dinner and then giving them to a Chinese chef, an Italian chef, a French chef, an Indian chef, a German chef and said, make something out of that. You know, you just can't, you can't do that. A combination of not appointing managers that fit the squad and not giving managers the players that fit their style and then sacking them when it doesn't work means that the players you know they were spinning from manager to manager but always in the knowledge that if they didn't perform they still got paid they weren't gonna get the sack you know worst of all if they didn't like the manager they could effectively get him out by not trying very hard and oh, I, I I wouldn't say that's what happened but you you know that if there's a manager there you don't like and you're a player at Watford if you lose three or four games he's going to be gone. you know it's it's just an absolute maelstrom of circumstances what it does show over the last two seasons to me is changing the manager makes absolutely no difference at all unless you change the whole ethos at the club and you sign up to something and you stick by it whether that's a manager or a style of play or a technical director something has to be the constant the only constant we've got is the owner and the owner is the most random thing at the club it's almost like you, you feel like you want to say, Well, you, you, you know, if you think you know better than all these coaches, you managed a bloody team because it's, you know you, it's, it's getting that way, team. though, isn't it? It's getting that, that, that that's, way. That's how it feels is that until there is a constant and it can't just be the chair, the owner, then we are going to go around in circles. You have to pin your colors to a mast at some point, and we, we haven't been able to do it with managers. and Changing manager has made no difference at all. I, I think that I think the players have got the easy get out of if we don't try very hard, the manager goes. Um, like all players they know that they still get paid the same amount of money win or lose in their defense they've had to put up with six managers who play different ways different personalities different styles that that can't help but the overall problem in my mind is there is no constant we don't sign up to anything we just keep chopping and changing and so while you do that you know you are never you can't keep changing and expecting it to work sooner or later you've got to decide on something Give it some time, and then if that doesn't work, then you can change. But you know, ten games. Rob Rob had no more chance in his first ten games than Chris Wilder had in the eleven he had at the end. You yeah, know, I, I, just, I, I find it very hard to imagine any manager can do anything much in ten games. Very true,
1: very true. And as you say, there, you know, we we kind of seem to change from one manager to another fairly incoherently. In the case of our friends up the road, of course, they had Nathan Jones playing three five two, and they've then recruited Rob Edwards. But if we rewind to when Nathan Jones was still in charge and came to visit the Vic. We may as well just enjoy the one highlight of the season. I think we should touch on this. When Luton came to town, Nathan Jones still in charge. I can't remember what what that particular excuse was. It they there was illness or a bug or I don't Sick know. Was it, a, it was a, yeah. it was a Sunday. It was something or other. Anyway, did you think that we were going to get anything like that performance and and that day? Because it was the day that really showed what the vicarage really could do when it's absolutely rocking to the rafters and the, the team. And the support base was aligned how did how did you see the day from the press box
2: that day and that performance and that level of effort is what really frustrates me the most is what it shows is within that squad there was a group of players who could over 90 minutes play excellent football that was effective they could score goals they could keep clean sheets they could be committed they could show the fans a level of spirit and effort that they could all buy into it's just a shame they only did it once all right Mm -hmm. it was the best day to do it knowing they could do that once It might sound obvious, but do it a bit more often. Then we'd all be happy. In the week leading up to the game, it was very, very clear from, I think I was at the training round twice, that the players were definitely on message in as much as you know, this is really important. If all else fails, you've got to do something here. And and Slav was very bought into it, and and talked about the fact you know that how he almost handed the, you know, passed the mic over to people like uh, William Truex, Kong, and Tom Cleverly, uh, Dan Gosling, people who knew what they might not know so much about what a Watford derby was about, but they knew what a derby in English football was all about. And and De Kong being a Watford fan, he understood it. I, I know that those players sat down with some of the others, you know, maybe the you know the the, the Mars and the Pedros who very talented players but may not quite understand, me, understand what Watford v Luton was all about. And so in the week leading up to the game, I was pretty confident that they got it. What you can never be sure with Watford is what they're going to do with it when they get it. You know, you couldn't uh-huh. be sure they were going to go out and say they might have gone, Well, this is a really important game, but nah, I can't be bothered. From the first whistle, I thought they looked well up for it. You know, we were certainly helped by getting an early goal, but I just thought even after that goal we didn't let up. You know, there was there was just people I, I remember, you know, I think Dan Gosling was playing it right back and he was snapping into tackles and you know leading, you know, the way that you'd want people to play, which you know, I wanted to be first to the ball. And you know, Keenan Davis was, was very mobile that day. Something that You you couldn't say always, but, you know, he was really up for it. And there were were no players on the pitch that you thought were playing in a lower gear than the best gear they had. From the moment we scored, I, I, I suppose after the second goal, I thought, well, yeah, this is all over. We're going to win this, no matter how many we win by. And I was just glad that we went on and got a couple more because, you know, one of the problems with Watford has been over the last two or three seasons is, you know, we, we get a game where we've got it won and then we treat it like a, you know, a cat with a dead bird where we just flick it around a bit. You know, what you really want to do is go on and absolutely mutilate the opposition. And that's what we did. And it was great, you know, and there was great goals and there was a great connection between the crowd and the fans and you know that that was probably the one time where I thought yeah if only we you know if we did that every week we've got a real chance here the fact that we never saw it again maybe with the exception of Norwich away it was such a shame and that as much as I thoroughly loved every minute of that Luton game and I loved being in the room for Nathan Jones's press conference and everything else <laughs> it was just you know you look back on it and think god if only we could have harnessed that if only the players had realized they only had to do that three games out of four would have been enough you only needed 69 points to get in the playoffs but you know, we couldn't even do it twice in a row. But yeah, I, I loved it. And I, I mean, Nathan Jones's press conference was just a thing of comedy. It really was. You know, it's, it was it was like you know it was like carry on excuses. You know, everything. There was food poisoning, and you know, the wind blowing in the wrong direction, and woman behind the dugouts was giving me grief. And you know, and I did enjoy. You know, it's going to be so different when they come back to our place, yeah. Because you'll have had you'll have left and been sacked to where you're going. <laughs> Before we even get <laughs> right so, Yeah, he's just, he's just a little weaselly sort of bloke, you know, who gets very angry and wound up about. When, when someone says, you know, without, you know, no disrespect, you know that they're going to follow up with something that's disrespectful. And he said that regularly through his, but I don't, want, no disrespect intended. And then he'd come up with something disrespectful. And it, he'd managed to squeeze out that Watford had been the better team. But, you know, this this terrible food bug they had, you know, where players were laying on apparently beds in the, in the changing room, unable to move, you know, well, I know there were no players laying on the beds because people go in the dressing room and have a look. You know, it's just absolute nonsense. So it's a real shame that he wasn't there for the second game. But then in a way, I'm glad he wasn't, because I wouldn't have wanted him to crow in the way that he would have done would have done had, yeah. uh, you know overseen a 2-0 win but yeah that, that Luton game was uh, I'm not going to say it was a win on aggregate because someone famously said that on a video and I, I wouldn't want to be tarred with the same brush yeah I, I thought it might be you Carl. <laughs> oh, no. yeah, I think I think that was you know it, it was a great day uh, it was tinged with a bit of sadness that you know the group of players couldn't work out that they could have had a, a bloody good season if they'd have just done that every game and it wasn't like they had to do anything superhuman you know they, they weren't sort of you know bathing in kryptonite or anything else it was they just did what they were capable of doing for 90 minutes and won 4-0. And if they'd done that for 50% of the games afterwards, we probably would still be involved in the season. 100%. Hi, this is Jan Mulvey and you're listening to it. Do not scratch your eyes, podcast.
0: Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with mook delivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. <laughs> at participating restaurants, eighteen plus. Serving times, delivery, fee and terms apply. See McDonalds.com. One of
1: the things then after the World Cup break or whatever we want to call it, and uh, which I remember the the last game was away against Bristol City, and we just didn't well, turn up. Was, a, yeah. Oh yeah, awful. Um, awful. we we had a run of, of of draws, but one of the things that started to kind of creep up on us was there was a a few players playing in the under-21s and, and coming through, actually they also playing in the under-18s in the in the FA Youth Cup, which kind of started to kind of capture a little bit of imagination. And finally, obviously for the uh, for, for the game against uh, Blackpool at home, which we won 2-0, 68th minute, we bring on Toby Adeyemo, who comes on, scores in the 72nd minute, most poignantly as it could possibly be on the GT day. Such a moment in, in, in the stands as somebody who gets to go into the, the press conference and did that permeate to the club did they really understand did, did Slavin get and understand the importance of that moment and how did you see some of those players such as Jack Greaves, starting to kind of get a sniff and obviously the early the early signs of perhaps a Ryan Andrews starting to come through how do you how do you feel that that progressed through the season
2: well i know yes you know, Slav Slav really enjoyed Ady Amos scoring and it, you know he enjoyed seeing the young players play i think what we have to put into some context is yeah. had we had a full squad that wouldn't have happened you know it, it was it was it was circumstantial, you know, and that's not to undermine no. Adeyemu, Adipoku, you know, any of those who came on and played in, in FA Cup or league games. Yep. But, you know, we, we we were getting down to the bones there, you know, and uh, it was happy circumstance that Adeyemu was on the bench. When he came on, brilliant, you know, that, that goal was a true striker's goal. He took it really well. You know, he spoke very well and eloquently about how it felt. You know, he looked, it was just a genuine response, him holding his head in his hands. You know, so many times you see goal scorers who've quite obviously... He spent a week at the training ground rehearsing some sort of, you know, knee slide with a, you know, tuck and double Salco to finish. Yeah. And yeah. 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 Bianca and- Baptiste and Dre Georgiou. I hope you're bloody
1: listening. We know when you're oh, rehearsing yeah. these things.
2: I won't name names, but on that day, <laughs> He probably He would have celebrated. He celebrated how a lot of us would have done. There was that initial "Yeah, I've scored," followed by "Shit, I can't believe this." Mm. You know, it was. It was, it was. It was great to see. You know, I. I it was one. Of the, one of the best moments of the season, and you know, it was great for him. And around that time, you know, to see him, like you said, Jack greaves Adipoku, you know, the the cup tie at Reading when a lot of the youngsters got a chance, you know, that that took me back to the days when reserve team football meant if you played well, you got a chance in the first team, you know, you'd go and watch the reserves and there'd be a couple of youngsters in there and you think, oh, he looks good. And then they'd pop up in the first team. And we haven't had that. There's been that massive disconnect. You know, we've had an under-21 squad where, you know, you'd only know about them if you went to a game. You never saw them and they, they didn't go anywhere. You know, some people track their careers and follow them through sort of non-league or lower league football. Mm-hmm. We didn't have that. And suddenly, you know, we had on the bench for a number of games that were homegrown. But I say that comes with the sort of the, the caveat that it was almost forced upon us. And, you know, I I, I think, you know, Slavin was behind the scenes, was pretty honest that, you know, had he had a full-strength squad and we hadn't had the injury, then probably that wouldn't have happened But it happened and they took their chance And they did well and they hung around In the first team squad and I was talking To um, Michael Adapoku yesterday And you know he said that that cup tie Sort of after that the FA Cup tie He, he got a chance to train with the first team more Because he he made a good impression and he, he, You know given a good shift and that, that's What you really want you know I think fans of any Club but you know I can only speak as a Watford fan You know if you've got a homegrown player that you've Followed through and you know you've seen them play for The youth team and then they got in the old reserve team and they played in the first team. When they played in the first team, you know, if they misplaced a pass or they they put one wide, you know, you you gave them a bit of slack because they were one of yours. You know, there was a, a bloke that you'd known since they were a kid and, you know, you'll give, give them a chance. And I think that, that's that's what Watford fans latch on to. You know, that's why it's great to see Ryan Andrews come through at the end. You know, it's just it's just someone that you feel you've got that extra attachment to because they're Watford through and through. You know, they're one of ours. And even, I know people say, well, yeah, James Morris, we signed him in Southampton. Yeah, but he spent a year and a half in our academy. You know, he's he's a thoroughly nice bloke. All right, you know, he may not be first to us next season, but I, I think it's great that we've signed him on. You know, we're never going to go anywhere if what we feel we have to do is continually sign two players in every position because we can't produce anybody ourselves. You might as well then scrap the academy and we'll just go and sign blokes out in the league. You know, it's we, we we need that, that lifeblood, that conversion belt of players coming through. And I think as much as it was down to circumstance and it was down to injuries, it was great to be able to give a platform to young players and see them take it and see their reaction and, and feel the buzz around Vicarage Road and, and for the weeks afterwards. You know, the, loads of people are interested in the Toby Adiyamo story, you know, and right. I'm sure that, you know, people have read about Ryan Andrews and they remember his dad. If you're old enough, his dad was a player. Yeah, that, that's that's the sort of stories we want. You know, it, it's great when you go and sign a, a star player. It's great that Gel Pedro is going to go on and have a great career, hopefully at Brighton but there's nothing quite as special as someone to use the old phrase has come up through the ranks you know he was a YTS and then he was in the reserves and now he's in the first team you know our, our ultimate legend at Watford Luther Blissett you know was exactly that he was a, a, a lad that came through the youth team you know started playing in the Southeast Counties League went into the Midweek League got his chance in the first team became a legend you know under the current regime he probably would have been left the club after the Midweek League because you know the, the pathway to the first team is blocked and that phrase used a lot but you need to have a pathway you know it's a chicken and egg situation good players in our academy are not going to stay if they don't see a pathway you know you need to have that pathway so you've got to create that pathway first and then you know then they'll stay so you you've got to give players something to aspire to and i think this season we've shown that we you know we do give young players a chance and i hope that continues the other thing i'd say about that time that you were talking about there is you've also got to bear in mind around that you know we're, we're coming into january transfer window yeah. which is when i felt for me when things started to go awry with the slaven and club relationship because ah. he'd been very clear, you know, probably all through December, not quite as vehement as he was in January, but certainly through December, you know, he was talking about, I've told the club what I want, I've given them a list, I've made it clear. You know, perhaps naively, he and and those of us in the press that he was talking to thought, well, this is pretty clear what's going to happen in January. He's given them a list of positions and we're going to go out and sign players in those positions and everything's going to be hunky-dory because that's not what happened in August. We thought they may have learned. When I think back, you know, he was always wanting two wingers, a centre-forward, and most importantly, an experienced midfielder. And what we brought in was two right backs or a right back, two centre halves, and a very small striker. And I think after that, you know, I sort of sensed that he didn't lose interest, but he sort of thought, well, you know, we're not, we're not on the same page here. You know, they've not listened yeah. to me. They're not, they're not. Not only they're not listened to me, they've just done the opposite of the things I asked for. And I remember him saying that when Trooste-Kong went out on loan, and I think we signed Porteous, and he said, you know, it was a, it was a like for like, and it wasn't. But I knew what he was trying to say was, you know, we, we've moved out a centre back, and we've brought in another centre back. Now they might have different qualities. And one might be better than the other But in the scheme of things It wasn't like we were crying out For another sense back You know, whether you think Truesty Kong would have been a starter In your 11 or not We had something in that yeah. position what we didn't have was two wingers. You it doesn't know, re- rebalance
1: yeah. the squad, does it? No, and, it doesn't re-balance. You know, and
2: I think that, you know, the Jao Ferreira signing, you know, look, he looks to be a very, very good player. Mm. And, you know, next season you'd imagine that, you know, he's going to be vying for first choice. But when you think we had Gaspar and Ngakia put opinions to one side, we did have two right backs. We also didn't know it, but we had Ryan Andrews knocking about in the under-21s who was doing well. You know, by the time Ferreira came, we had we had four right backs, but we only had one left back. We didn't have any wingers we only had one strike and we didn't have that centre midfielder that that Bilic wanted and I just got the impression that as January wore on he was sort of looking a bit more down and a bit more frustrated and I did that blog from the, the training ground on the deadline day and I spent about an hour with him He's chatting to him, and you know he, he knew then that he wasn't going to get any of the players that he wanted, and he wasn't, you know, he wasn't angry about it. I, he, he's just frustrated. I've spoken to him since. I spoke to him when on the day that the new manager was appointed, and we were talking about things, and he said, you know, I, I still think he said perhaps I'm being stupid, but I still think had I been able to get what I wanted in January, we could have made it into the playoffs. You, you know, maybe we wouldn't have finished top two, and maybe we would have scrambled to get there, but I think I would have made it if they had just listened to what I thought we needed. I don't think he was, you know, he wasn't bitter he was just it was a bit like well you know what why have you brought me here and why have you asked me what i think if you're not going to pay attention to it pay attention to it yeah Yeah. and that's you know it's going to be the same with valerian ishmael and ben manga you know we all hope that 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 between them those two are going to mold the squad like the way we said you know whether we sign players that fit around a manager's style and what he wants but lurking in the background is that other figure who's been there the whole time who's who's always been present and is the as i said the one most random thing at the club you know if Rob couldn't get what he wanted, and Bilic couldn't get what he wanted. And, you know, as far as I know, they've not really asked Chris Wilder what he learned through his time. You know, we've just got to cling on to the hope that they might suddenly decide that listening to Manga and Ishmael is the way forward. Because if it isn't, we could just be doing another three three manager season. Yeah. Jan- January was pivotal for me because talking to, to, to Slavin a lot and, and just seeing his body language as the month wore on, he sort of, it was that it went from, I'm quite hopeful that we're going to get. What we need to, we haven't got what we need at all, and I'm not quite sure where we're going to end up. You know, will we know where we ended up? he lost his job.
0: I, yeah. think, I think the other thing that. that happened in January was we got rid of a lot of August. We saw the crow go to Odin uh, uh, Did the crow go to Azy Where did Barbara go? Charlotte. Okay. Uh, and uh, Manai went, and you know a lot of what was brought in 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 August kind of went out the door, which was quite telling well, in its own uh, sort of way.
1: And, and and of course KMB and Kalu were taken out the back and shot, seemingly because we've not seen hide nor of them. I, I can
2: answer. I can I can tell you that when I was, I was at the training grounds last Tuesday, sat overlooking the main training pitch for about an hour and a half, and KMB was out there, definitely him checked it working proper hard like you know and he I, I think he'd even volunteered to come in it wasn't like he had to to try and sort out this calf issue that has bugged him because you know again I, I spoke to Billich about that and said you know where did, you know he, you never got him back and Chris didn't get him back and he, he, he you know he said what's always been said is that he had what they thought was a very minor and straightforward calf injury but every time he'd try and get to match fitness the calf would go and so they sort of had to write the rest of the season off to get it sorted out and give him a pre-season to build up again. But, yeah, he's definitely still there. I, I saw him. I, I haven't seen – well, I saw Kalu, but only in the car park. I can't confirm or deny whether he'd actually done any training, but he's got a nice car. But, yeah, they're still. those two are still around. It's probably a yeah, I mean, yeah, January – but let's be honest. I mean, you know, Manai, the times that he played, you could have taken him out of the team and played with 10, and it, it wouldn't have made a great deal of difference. I, I'm still not convinced he actually touched the ball for the goal that he made. Totally. Yeah. I no mean, he didn't he didn't I, think I wrote them. somewhere that you know he may have diverted it with the draft from his foot that was created by him swinging at it but <laughs> his season pretty much was summed up at Preston when he Preston. had two yeah. great oh, chances yeah. you know great chances yeah. where you know alright you, you know scoring 20 but at least get him on target yeah. uh, and you sort of thought yeah this bloke's not much cop
1: when we did the preview shows um, we we have uh, uh, kind of guests on from from most clubs uh, except occasionally played people like Stoke cheers guys but uh, the guy came up back on from Preston and even from when we when we got the return game he actually went and your guy missed that when it, it was harder to 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 miss yeah. and oh worst miss we've seen all season
2: it's like yeah thank, thanks thanks, thanks on when you think back to that, you know that that game that was sort of what quite early on in well yeah we've only got ten league games it's always going to be quite early on but had Rob had a different striker. To play in that game, we could have won at Preston. we were a team who weren't suffering many no. defeats. They were not letting many goals in, and yet we created two or three decent chances that day. You know, a different striker, but Manai touched one away. We win one nil. What does that do to to Rob's season? But as we said earlier, you know, he, he came into the season with two strikers that he didn't particularly want. No wing backs. You know, he only just got a left-footed midfielder. Uh, sorry, left foot defender. You know, it, it just goes back to what I said. You know, we are expecting managers to make something out of things that they don't recognise, don't need, or don't. Want. So yeah, January. But I, I wasn't surprised. You know, Manai wasn't. I mean, he was either he was either not playing or injured for most of the time he was here. Bayo, I, I actually thought Bayo was an impact sub. Yeah. You know, might might have been quite useful for fifteen minutes, but. Again, we needed to move on some of the overseas players because we wanted to bring some more overseas players in and you just can't have a squad full of overseas players. So that was a sacrifice there. And the other thing about January is, you know, Porteous is going to be a very good sign-in, no doubt about that. Hoyt, jury's out, but it does give you that left-footed option and uh, and he you know he is a, he's a very good passer of the ball. Uh, maybe his biggest problem is that he he thinks he's slightly better than what he is, but then you know if you play to the level that he has, you might think that through in the championship, but the proof is in the pudding and you know it jury's still out. But th- those two, you know, are going to be good acquisitions. As for the striker from Benfica whose name I'm not very good at pronouncing, and en- en- Enrique Arouge. That's the most baffling of loan signings ever that is. You know, when you think that that what Slavin was basically saying was look, you know, I need another Davis or so someone like a Davis need a big bloke, you know, to lead the line that can be our pivot. And we go and sign a bloke who's what, five, seven, just the complete opposite of of what we've got. And so, you know, you could never see how you could play a Rouge and leave Davis out, but then you could never see how you could play them together either. So I, I don't think I, I think he made one start a Rouge, maybe two, you know. And and you know you know your goose is cooked when you start running out for the under twenty ones on a Tuesday, you know. And, and even then, he, he, I felt sorry for him. He's, he just looked he just looked completely shorn of all confidence, you know. Even in the under twenty ones.
1: Obviously, with the you know it, it, the, the Preston game, I remember being at the end of the transfer window because we thought that um, we thought that Saar was going to move on this transfer window in January. Obviously, we just had you know we spoke about Jaretta earlier on we'd had Ben Manga arrive and also Helena Costa and presumably Helena Costa would have been involved having been the youth coach at Benfica so the Arush and the uh, and the, and the uh, Yao Ferreira I think you would imagine that would have been pretty strong contacts Yeah her. yeah
2: they, they they were players that she knew and she was involved in again though I think it's that disconnect between Pozo and Manga and Costa And then you've got Pozzo and whoever the manager is at the time. And there's two different relationships. And the only common denominator is Pozzo. But if Pozzo doesn't pass the messages on or doesn't align things, then you will get this situation where the manager says, I need someone like Davis. The owner then goes to the scouts and says, I just need a forward. Oh, we know just the bloke, he's brilliant, he's worth hundred million pounds. And then you give him to the manager who goes, Well, yeah, this bloke's tiny. You know, mm-hmm. there's there's more to it than that. You know, I, I didn't just need a striker. So oh. that's why I come back to, you know, if the, you've got to buy into something, you've got you know, either either you've got to go with, with uh manga and say to manga, right, you buy the players, you've hired the manager, you decide the style, or you go to the manager and say, You dictate the style and manga and then work to that, but you can't have them working off different blueprints yeah. because yeah. Yeah. you end up with what we've had for the last two seasons, good managers. Potentially good managers Potentially good players But none of whom Fit together It's it's like trying to do A jigsaw But the pieces Are from a different Puzzle to the picture You've got You know It's never going to work They will make a picture But it won't be the one You want
1: And it's exactly the reason Why Rob Edwards Has slotted into The former playing 3-5-2 He's made some adjustments But actually what was there Was you know He knew what he was getting And mm. he knew it was, it was what he needed It was an intelligent Piece of management Recruitment Interesting as you say It started to go Off a little bit For, for, for Slavin Around that time He wasn't getting what he was asking for. And I think the problem with Slav you, again, almost identical to, to Rob when he actually left his, his last four games: a win, a loss, and two draws. I, I, in terms of that, it, but of course, it wasn't enough. We were losing sight of the playoffs. And then it was a question of okay, we're gonna we're gonna roll the dice, so we're gonna stick everything on red, or we're gonna stick everything on black in, in, in casino terms, making the change. Was it was it a surprise when, when Slavin kind of moved on? And how was Slavin's relationship with you mentioned? Obviously, he was frustrated. But it seemed fairly kind of. It sounds like he was fairly placid about it. Did, did he? Did he feel this was just an inevitable kind of thing at the end, or was was
2: he surprised that change was made? Anyone who can, you know, as I say, he joked about who hasn't been Watford manager. I think he was realistic and that you know he wasn't expecting to get a testimonial at any point um, <laughs> from Watford, and you know, so he, he knew he knew that you know you were really just waiting for for. You know the chop to come. Even though January hadn't gone the way he wanted, I think he felt he was going to see the season out. And like I say, you know, in, in my in my private conversations, he's, he's adamant. Had they listened to him a little more in January, we would have made the playoffs for sure. But notwithstanding that, that if they'd have stuck with him, we would have snuck in. And I, I like Slav, and you know, I say I talk to him quite regularly. But it's easy sometimes just to forget that around that time, we you know some of the performances, even though we weren't losing every week, were, were pretty insipid. You know, I mean, you know, they, they weren't. It wasn't like we were drawing games and you were thinking, God, how did we not win that? You know, it it was pretty, pretty, you know, poor stuff and my main criticisms of Slav I've talked to him about this is that you know, there's this absolute refusal to divert from his plan you know it was quite obvious that we didn't have the players to fit that but he was still trying to you know knock square pegs into round holes you know I seem to remember I might be wrong I seem to remember thinking at some point you know you've got to play Davis and Arouge together just to see that either it works or it doesn't, it doesn't yeah. but we never did that you know and it just felt like there was a, there was a bit of stubbornness on both parts there was a stubbornness from the owner that, you know, he wouldn't be told what to do by a manager and he'll sign the players he wants. And then when that didn't happen, there was a degree of stubbornness on Billage's part that, well, you know, you're not going to give me what I want. I'm just going to forge on with what I think is the right thing to do because you've not supported me. And I, I don't think their relationship, I don't think anyone has a relationship with the owner particularly. You know, I don't know how much interaction any of the coaches has with the owner. It's mainly done through the chairman and, and latterly through through Manga and, you know, Gioretta, some of a bit of a go-between as well. But, you know, I think by the end... Slavin was just hacked off that he hadn't got what he wanted and, and was trying to, you know, do the best he could. You could see that, it, you know, it wasn't great. Was I surprised? No, I wasn't surprised that he got the chop, but only because we're Watford. If you if you look at other clubs, I mean, you know, if, if Burnley had had our owner, you know, would... Would they have changed manager after five or six games at the start of the season when they um, weren't winning? You know, that's that's what you've got to think about. Is Watford have you know? It's it's so so not a surprise, and I'm so bored of all the you know the Gary Lineker's and the, the jokes about you know yeah going in for three seasons, spring, autumn, and summer. You know, yo ho ho, ha ha ha. We have bored it upon ourselves. That is what we are, and if it was any other club we'd be making the exact same jokes about and if if you know if the owner's offended by any of the comments about changing manager or lack of consistency or any of the jokes he sees that that's what he's created it's, it's nobody else it isn't like there's been a we haven't had fans voting you know we haven't it's not been that players have been you know carrying placards sack the boss it's always been a decision from the top oh. so any any of the ridicule or humiliation that the club comes in for is warranted and justified and it, if, if Luton did what we did we you know we'd have we'd have memes and everything going around and, and so it's no surprise they' do the same to us so i don't think in hindsight you know, slab did himself any favors towards the end but i don't think he was shocked either you know that's that's Watford if anything surprised me it was that not because he did badly but it didn't come sooner in as much as with every game that went by if you thought you weren't going to stick with Slav you were giving a new man a game less to do anything about it you know you could have said well I don't know if in February early February you thought Slav wasn't your man make the change then we didn't you know we held on a bit and so you're then asking a manager to come in with 11 games to go when we are off the pace not looking like catching up got a squad that's a bit imbalanced all over the place they're demotivating a the set of fans who feel you know totally let down so it, it, the move the mood then wasn't particularly great. And Chris said himself when I interviewed him, you know, he he took over, but he didn't realise he'd done his homework and he knew things weren't great. And he knew the squad needed a lot of work. But until we kicked off a QPR, even he didn't realise how bad it was, but 10 minutes in. Yeah. Yeah. That's when it was summed up for me, that game. I was at QPR. The writing was on the wall for me at the, at the end of that game we were not going to get in the playoffs i wrote the piece for the observer and you know i said to him quite honestly when did you you know because he's a diligent bloke and he would have done his his homework and like when Billich came in you know it's pretty obvious that they were sounding out people well before they got rid of Billich because you, you don't sack a manager in the morning and ring a bloke up in the afternoon it was it yeah. was lined up so and he, he would have done his homework and you know he knows you know so many people what he's one of the best connected people in English football that i've come across he knows everybody and so i said to him uh, when i spoke to him last week you know when when did you realise it might be even a bigger task than you thought and he sort of laughed he said I'll be honest it was 10 minutes into QPR you know he said we just didn't turn up we were all over the place you know we were playing a team that hadn't won in weeks and yet we were making them look like Burnley yeah. you know he said and I could detect from the, the terraces to my right just how hacked off disenchanted fed up angry the fans were he said and I thought god I've got an even bigger job here than I thought you know he some he sort of, sort of sussed it out pretty quickly 10 minutes into the QPR game